Welcome to the DNVGL Talks Energy podcast series. Electrification, rise of renewables and new technologies supported by more data and IT systems are transforming the power system. Join us each week as we discuss these changes with guests from around the industry. Welcome to a new series of DNVGL Talks Energy. This series is all about the energy transition and my first guest is Ditlev Engel, CEO of DNVGL Energy. Welcome, Ditlev. Thank you. Ditlev, DNVGL has in September in London launched the Energy Transition Outlook 2018 and you have just recently also launched the Asia Pacific version of that report here at the Singapore International Energy Week 2018. Tell us about that report. First, let's start with the with the global perspective. Uh, and as you uh, said in the introduction, uh, we uh, presented here in, in London a few months ago. That's the second time we have done the Energy Transition Outlook. And obviously, when you updated the second time, you're very interested to see whether what you said last year is still more or less the same or whether a lot of things have changed. And I think so first, the good news really is that the trends that we saw when we launched it in 17 are still the same. Uh, and that means, uh, and let me just give you a few of the highlights, uh, that means that we see a world uh, that will really move into electricity, uh, taking a much bigger part of, of the overall energy supply. We're seeing a world where we will move from uh, about 2080 to 50-50 uh, fossil, non-fossil. Uh, and we are seeing that the world energy demand uh, will peak around 2035. Uh, I'm sure we'll come back and talk about why is that. Uh, and we are also seeing that renewables is going to have a major role in the whole electrification of societies. And those mega trends uh, we set last year and we are now one year in and we are still seeing exactly the same uh, uh, in, in the world depending out. So, so hopefully uh, people who read the report get even more comfortable with that. Uh, you listen the first time, you see the first time and, and then of course in 12 months when we're going to make the update, we'll see whether anything significant have changed. But uh, I think that's also an important message. In this report, you also talk about cost of the transition, which definitely doesn't come for free. But also recently, the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change has launched a quite alarming report. And it's not so much about anymore, can we afford to transform? If we have to transform, we cannot afford to not transform. But can you still elaborate a bit on what it demands? It was very uh, discouraging to, um, uh, to uh, hear the, uh, the comments from the IPCC a few weeks ago. Uh, I think the, uh, the most positive part was that uh, we can still get to a 1.5 degrees centigrade increase, but we have a window of 12 years. And uh, 12 years is, of course, like tomorrow, uh, in particular in the world of energy, where it takes a long time to, to change the systems. Uh, so I think that is, was very important. Um, at the same time, we also heard uh, here at the conference in Singapore from the International Energy Agency, that they are forecasting that the global emissions in 2018 is going to be higher than in 17. And they were also kind of hinting to that we will probably see the same in 19, which means that what we want to see, namely that the carbon emissions are going down, is not happening. Uh, and that means that the need for a faster transition is more urgent than ever before. Uh, that, of course, then leaves uh, the question where you say, what are the costs? And uh, I will not today speculate about what the cost will be of, of climate change, but let me look at what the cost will be for the energy transition's participation. And then if you just look at the global numbers, uh, we are seeing a world today where we spend around 
5.5% uh, of the total global GDP on energy cost in the whole world. And in our outlook, we see that uh, falling to uh, uh, around 3.3%. Uh, and that means actually it, we will spend significantly less of our money on energy. And uh, the reason for that is simply that we through technology and the cost of technology keeps getting much more sort of say bang for the buck. Uh, if we just look very simply into uh, renewables, a few years ago, uh, we had uh, one two megawatt uh, turbines. And now we have much bigger turbines, but if you look at the cost per megawatt per turbine, it's gone down a lot. So we keep getting uh, much more for every dollar that we invest. And that means that investing into the energy transition actually is not going to consume more of the money we have available in the world for other things. It will actually be less, uh, and that's a very important message also in the, in the, uh, in the energy transition outlook. One uh, finding of the energy transition outlook is also that there is a substantial expansion of the global transmission and distribution grids required. And if you read that first, it's a little bit surprising because one benefit of renewables in the past was that we said distributed generation would allow us to generate electricity close to loads. But nevertheless, there is a good reason for this. And I would like you uh, to expand a bit on this and ask you, what is the driver, this massive growth of lengths and capacity of power lines are you foreseeing? So, you know, there is no better reason for investing than when there is a demand. And uh, as I just said previously, that the world is, uh, is really electrifying. And that obviously will not happen if you do not have the possibility to transport electricity. Uh, so if we, for instance, now we're seeing societies, we know, for instance, in Italy, that they are rolling out uh, 40,000 charging stations for electrical vehicles. And that, of course, at the same time also means you have to make sure that you have the necessary investments into the grid. So the fact that the world is going much more electric means that the demand for investment into the transmission is going up. So that will be a theme. But then, of course, it's also important to say that depending on where you are, it will be very different how the investment will be used. There will be parts uh, in the world. We know there are still close to 1 billion people that do not have access to electricity. They will probably have uh, microgrids, uh, local solutions. We will have societies who already have uh, a lot of investment into to grids. They need to upgrade those grids. So the investment that will need to go into this will be quite different depending on where you are on the planet, but also, let's say, where the country is right now in terms of the way that its energy system is organized. Uh, but for sure, I think the most important issue is that this will be driven by demand uh, because we are seeing electrification of societies and that's why it has to happen. You mentioned a, a few factors already, but uh, the energy transition outlook also shows this rapid uptake of electrification in some key sectors like manufacturing, building and transport. And so we have this massive rise of renewables, solar PV, wind. Um, but uh, still the report concludes, although this is all happening, mm -hmm. that we exceed the agreed carbon budget by far and cannot hit the 1.5 degree target. So what else can we do to make that happen? I think first and foremost, um, we need to think uh, in the way that everything we can do now, we have to do. And what I mean by that is that we must not put ourselves in a position where we make good the enemy of great. We would like to have everything perfect and we would like to understand everything. But I think we live in a world where the technology is moving so fast that it is very much about engaging. 
It's very much about being part of it instead of sitting and saying, yeah, but I'm a little in doubt. Should we do this now? And then you hold back. We need to accelerate the energy transition. And the way of doing that is really to engage. And I know uh, a lot of governments are, for instance, saying, well, it's very hard to forecast where we are moving, so we better wait. But as I just said before, with the 12 years window, we don't have time just to wait and see what will it look like. When we speak to many of our customers today, they're saying, well, we are engaging in it, but quite frankly, we don't know how it will evolve. We just know we have to be a player and we have to engage. And I think that is very important um, that people really now understand, well, if you can transform into electrical vehicles, uh, do it. Uh, and uh, I don't think uh, anybody will find that driving an electrical vehicle is a significant issue compared to driving a combustion engine. Actually, we are saying in the forecast that we will see the cost of manufacturing an EV will soon be cheaper than a combustion engine. And that's one of the reasons why we see the demand for electrification, namely because the EVs will be cheaper. So you as a consumer will go down and you have to make the choice, should I pay 100 for an EV or should I pay 110 or 120 for a combustion engine? I'm sure people will prefer because you will basically have uh, uh, your needs satisfied. And, uh, and therefore, the fact that the technology is becoming cheaper is going to help that. And, when, and this is, of course, why we make any transition out. When you can see this is happening, then it's about getting ready to prepare for it. So I just mentioned Italy is now rolling out 40,000 charging stations. And some people might say, while you're doing that, there are no EVs. Uh, but the, the good reply from Italy would be, well, we, they will come and we are preparing for it. So I think also, and I heard here now we're in Singapore today, that uh, Singapore is also now installing, I think, about a thousand charging stations. So we are seeing these things happen. And then that again will reinforce the need for the investment into the transmission. What you also mentioned in this uh, report is the importance of collaboration uh, between stakeholders to really realize the ambitions uh, of low carbon targets. So in practical terms, what do you think, how can these partnerships between uh, players in the energy industry and global corporations pan out? I think it's very important to say that um, of decarbonizing your footprint is an agenda that is way beyond the energy sector. Uh, we see that many uh, companies uh, are engaging in the energy sector simply because they want to have a different stance on how they consume energy and how they can engage. We are seeing, for instance, companies like IKEA, uh, Microsoft, others installing uh, 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 renewable generation themselves. But we also see them participating in, in a new way. And uh, let me just share two, I think, very concrete examples of, of what we're seeing. Uh, the first one was in, in the Netherlands uh, uh, a few months ago. Where we had auction for big offshore wind parks. And uh, Vattenfall from Sweden uh, uh, won uh, uh, the latest auction. And they did not ask the government for any physical support uh, uh, in order to build it. Basically meaning that the government is making the, the facilities available, the land, and they will build it. But they're not going to get any financial support from the government for running the, the wind turbines for many years. And just a few years ago, that would be unthinkable. Now, why is that possible uh, when you at the same time don't know what the electricity price will be like? Uh, then when you hear from Vattenfall, they say, well, there are so many big companies that would like to sign 20 years uh, agreements for green power uh, to, for their needs uh, as manufacturers in Europe. Mm -hmm. So they are now in the position selling off uh, the electricity they will generate, not necessarily just into the electricity market, but are already making arrangements with big companies. 
so we see big companies take different stands, Vattenfall here being a good example. We see, uh, for instance, uh, a company uh, uh, like Microsoft uh, engaging completely differently than ever done before, not just in their IT business, but also being a player in the energy business. So let's say the partnership with major companies is something that is really of a complete new, let's say, interaction than ever before. And we can see it every day at, at, at DNVGL in our, in our advisory business that the amount of interaction we have with companies that wants to have a stand and involve in the energy sector is like never before. And I think that's a very important uh, positive development for driving a much faster implementation because these companies actually do take a very proactive engagement into how energy is being uh, generated. Right. So that we are slowly coming to the end of this episode already, but we are recording this at the site of the Singapore International Energy Week. And I had, have two questions for you. First of all, um, do you see awareness of the matter of urgency of the energy transition? You have talked uh, in panels and uh, different uh, presentations here. Mm -hmm. uh, and the second one would be, what is your major takeaway from Singapore International Energy Week 2018? There's a lot, actually. So I think I would, I would take the freedom and give you a few, uh, a few highlights. Uh, if I should put on my, my no hat, it would be that when, uh, when IEA said that you know, we're going to overshoot the carbon emission in 2018, uh, I felt that was really, really uh, depressing um, and uh, a very important message that we have to, to take back. Uh, if I should put on my uh, yes hat, I would say uh, listening to what people are doing, I find it extremely encouraging. And for instance, uh, looking at uh, what is happening here in, in Singapore um, and the development of uh, uh, solar uh, that is being installed on the water and the lakes uh, in the reservoirs. Uh, they showed a very fantastic example of that and uh, uh, the World Bank confirmed that we were now up to one gigawatt of installer solar in this way. I think it's a very interesting way of how we are using solar uh, to support this. So I thought that was uh, is, is very exciting and very encouraging. And then uh, it's also a lot of uh, small companies you talk to who are engaging and in Engaging in any transition somehow with finding new niches a way to develop business, I think is, is very important. And then also I would say uh, listening to uh, uh, the fact that the Asian countries have decided to sign up to a new agreement that they should get more than 20% of their energy mixing in the region from renewables. Mm. But also clearly recognizing that we have a very important role, not just as DNVGL, but as businesses to help them. Uh, instead of saying, what are you doing? Because I think one of the key messages from the energy transition outlook is really, this is not really a technology challenge. The cost has come down so much. We know what to do. We know that we have to decarbonize. We know we have to focus on energy efficiency. We know we have to focus on more renewables. But we also know that we have to help in terms of putting the right regulation, but for sure also the right financing mechanism in place. Um, I've met with a number of financial investors as well, also here in Singapore, and they're all saying, well, we're engaging much, much more in making uh, money available. We would like to actually participate, but help us making market system that make it possible for us to invest. So I think, again, from a positive note, there's a lot of commitment and willingness to engage. What is most important of all is that we all find the right way to connect the dots. So we have all the tools in the toolbox, now we have to put it together in the right way. And this is really what the energy transition is all about. And then with one additional caveat, 
it's got to go fast. Right. Thank you very much, Detlef, for these interesting insights of the energy transition outlook of DNVGL, but also the Singapore International Energy Week. And to the listeners, the energy transition outlook is available for download at the webpage of DNVGL. And this was Detlef Engel, CEO of DNVGL Energy. Thank you for listening to this DNVGL Talks Energy podcast. To hear more podcasts in the series, please visit dnvgl.com slash talksenergy.